Uh, we're grateful that you're here. Um, Mark uh, communicated earlier during the announcements, it's our heartfelt desire that you, as we, recognize that this is a fellowship group designed to enable you to get involved, to get in, equipped, to grow in grace, and to be used by God through the means he's entrusted to you to affect others for the glory of God. The the bold biblical truth is you can't become what you ought to be without fellowship with God's people. And we as a church can't become what we ought to be if you don't grow and participate and engage as a member of the body of Christ. We are a community that needs one another, and that takes intentionality. As leaders in Cornerstone... We want to be intentional. We spoke candidly and openly on Friday when we met as elders and deacons that there are too many of us to, for us to succeed in the commissioned call to equip saints to do the work of ministry. Therefore, we have to divide and conquer, which means if you're not in a small group, if you're not in a Bible study, if you're not intentionally connected, your growth will be stunted and our maturity will be limited. Because we are a ministry to one another. Every member of the body of Christ is, by God's declaration, a minister. You are a critical partner. And you may not have heard that before. You may have heard that in the past. You don't know how to get involved. Our goal is to, first of all, facilitate a measure of conviction. I just can't come to church, sit and watch and learn. But I need to be actively engaged in not just the learning, but the serving. Not just the living, but the influencing and the leading. And so that's what Cornerstone is about. We're a fellowship group. There's a lot of us. We like the fellowship. But this group is too large for us to fulfill our stated responsibility. So make sure you're proactive. We want to be proactive. There's a table at the back. There's a uh, connection through gracechurch.org to Cornerstone. You can find Bible studies. We want you to be a part of that. That's our sincere desire. Well, I've invited you to Isaiah chapter 43. Uh, let, let me give you a little bit of explanation. So I started on James chapter 3 this week and recognized I'm up this week. We have a missionary next week. And I really don't want to jump into the tongue and then abandon ship and then go back into chapter 3. So I'm going to do a one-off today. All right, so one-off means this is an installment. This is the second installment of a challenge to you at the beginning of this year, and I know we're into March, but it's still the beginning of 2022, to ask you to take inventory, to assess yourself. The unexamined life is not worth living. We talked about an inventory regarding your faith. As we jump back into James, we rehearse the components of the lifestyle and biblical convictions of a real Christian, what saving faith by definition must include. We spent a good bit of time over these last few weeks where I've had the privilege of talking to you about the ingredients of the faith that saves more than words, more than truth convictions, It manifests itself in behaviors that are measurable and consistent. Otherwise, there is no saving faith. That faith is useless. So I talked about and asked you to assess yourself for an inventory, a self-assessment. 
And then if you're courageous to include allies that happen to know you and say, hey, how do you think I'm doing as it relates to manifesting and portraying what saving faith should look like? Do you see the fruit of salvation in me? One of the realities of our humanity is we have a proneness to blindness. Pride, by definition, one of its definitions, is to be in a cloud. As a Christian, you can live in a cloud. You can live in the cloud of misconceptions about who you think you are. What you need is someone to part the fog to help you recognize what needs to be addressed and what you need to see to help you assess. Inventory number one was an inventory regarding your faith. Today I want to offer you what I think is a very important installment no matter where you are in your journey of faith, and it's called an inventory for his glory. An inventory for his glory, a way of assessing, measuring, and pursuing, purposefully pursuing, the means that will help you be who you were built to be. This is an inventory, not about your faith, but an inventory about God's glory. An inventory for assessing how you're doing at the purpose for which you exist. Look with me at Isaiah 43 where God talks to his covenant people. The children of Israel are referred to as sons and daughters. If you're a Christian, you're a part of the father's family, Ephesians chapter 3. You've been adopted into the family of God. You are a covenant child of God. You've been adopted You belong to him. You are, if you're a Christian, saved by grace, not your works. Works that are manifest because real faith works. If you're saved by grace through faith, if you're saved by your trust in Jesus Christ alone, if you've been changed from the inside out, you are a son or daughter of God. You're a child of God. You're a covenant Relator to the living God, the creator. I want you to watch what God says to his covenant people as sons and daughters. And I want to punctuate a priority, a perspective that he punctuates. Isaiah 43 verse 1. But now, thus says Yahweh, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Now watch this. I have called you by name. You're a part of my family. You're identified with me because you are what? Mine. You're mine by redemption. I redeemed you. And you're mine by creation. You belong to me. As covenant sons and daughters, because I made you, because I redeemed you, you are related to me by name. Because you're part of my family. You identify with me. And the world sees me through you. Now jump down to verse 6. Where God says, I'm calling my covenant people back to myself. Verse 6. I will say to the north, give them up to the south. Because they were uh, incarcerated and driven off by persecution. They were involved in other countries and other places, I will say to the north, give them up, referring to his covenant people, to the south, do not hold them back. 
bring my sons from afar. In other words, bring them home to the land of promise and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Now watch verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name. Now how do you get called by his name? Verse 1. Created by him, redeemed by him. Everyone who is called by my name. Keep part of this verse, verse 7. And whom I have created for what? Say it out loud. Created for what? My glory. I made them for me. I made them for my glory. He goes on to say in verse 7, Whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Now listen, here's a fundamental conviction about inventory for His glory. Do you recognize that I was made for Him? Do you recognize that He made me, formed me, so that people would see Him? When He says, I made you for my glory, one of the ways to understand that, the chief one is, I made you so that people would see me. I made you so people would see me and learn something true about me. I made you so that they would know about me through you. I made you for me. Now listen, fundamental to your success in your journey of living and leading is you must recognize your purpose each and every day. And it is not to make a living. It is not to get an A on a paper. It is not just to get through the day or to manage the world that God has placed you in. Your purpose, by design, is you were made, you were molded, you were fashioned and formed, so that people would see Him, not you. So that they would learn about Him, they would elevate His name, not your name. So that they would appreciate Him, not you. You were made for Him. You were made for his glory. You exist to be a God glorifier, a reflector. You're lunar Christian. You're not the sun. You reflect the light of the sun. The work you do is so that the world will see who God is and give glory to God. The measure of your life, it's success today and every day or whenever anybody stands up to eulogize you someday will be defined not by your bank account, not by the books you've written, not by the places you've been. It'll be measured by how you did with the purpose for which you were made. Did Harry bring glory to God? My goal today is to give you a measuring stick, a tool, because the glory of God affects everything that you do. You know 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, the most basic, mundane, everyday activities, whether you eat or drink, what are you to do? Bring glory to God. And listen, if I can eat or drink to the glory of God, I can turn on my computer and do internet work for the glory of God. I can study for the glory of God. I can play for the glory of God. I can mow the grass for the glory of God. I can clean the kitchen for the glory of God. I can do the laundry for the glory of God. Do you get the idea? 
What were you made for? You were made to bring God glory. How do you do that? Turn over with me to Ephesians, excuse me, Romans chapter 12. All right, I'm going to do this all in one Sunday. This is not going to be a two-parter. Seven things that I'm going to offer to you, and it's grounded in this passage of Romans chapter 12. All right, what has God done for me? He's bought me with a price. Therefore, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm to glorify God in my body. I'm not to prostitute myself with lesser things or worldly things or carnal things. I've been bought with a price. I'm to glorify God with my body in everything, whether I eat or drink. It means to live in a way that people see him, not me, so that he's rightly regarded and highly elevated by the way I live and the way I act. How do I do that? Well, I do that, verse 12, by regarding him in a right way, a reasonable way. Chapter 12, verse 1, familiar verse. Therefore, I urge you, exhortation, that's I want to move you with my words. I'm calling you to something. Parakaleo, come, let's go. Here we go. I'm calling you, brethren, because of the mercies of God, because of everything God has done by giving me what I don't deserve and protecting me from what I do deserve because of the massive mercies of God to present This is an action, this is an everyday action, your bodies, your life as a living and holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God. The word acceptable means it brings him favor and pleasure. You were made for him, which doesn't just mean people see him, but God is blessed when you do what he built you to do, just like a parent watching a child. You're gratified when a child fulfills the purpose for which you are a part of bringing them into the world. Acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual, your reasonable, this is right, expression of what? Worship. You were built to bring glory to God. How do you do that? As a living worship offering. Every single day, by choice, You have to get up in the morning and say, you know what? It's for him, not me. And as a result, I have a responsibility to do everything I do as an act of worship. I submit, and I I gave you a little fitness, faith fitness test sometime back. You bow down, you kneel down, you sit down, you stand up, and you step out as a Christian. Faith exercises. Bow down, submission, and surrender to God. Kneel down, confessing and asking. Seeking God for cleansing and for the issues of life that you don't have. Sit down, face down in the Bible, hearing from God, calibrating, learning, standing up in faith, going, I know he said it. I'm going to stand up in confidence, and I'm going to step out, and I'm going to live it. That's faith fitness. That's an everyday exercise program. What are you focused on? Everything that I do is an act of worship. It's the most reasonable expression of the reality that I've come to know as a Christian. If you actually get 
that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was without hope and without God in the world. And he graciously, sovereignly, because of his choice before the foundation of the world, if you get the fact that he chose you in love, gave his only begotten son to substitute for you and ransom your life for his life, if you actually get that he changes you from the inside out, you go from dead to alive. This is what's reasonable. You're going to heaven. You have eternal life. You belong to God. You're a child of God. You've entered into the life of God. And anybody who gets that, this is reasonable. What is reasonable? I get up this morning and I offer myself as a living offering for his glory. Hear me, as an act of worship. Everything I do is an act of worship. Being who you're built to be is living and leading in everything you do as an act of worship for the glory of God so they see him, not you. And you know what? Whether you're a guest here today or you're a regular here today, that requires intentionality. You have to aim at it. I spent a summer with Dr. E.V. Hill in South Central Los Angeles, and I remember one sermon. He talked about the narrow road and the broad road. He said, the narrow road, you got to aim at it. That broad road, you don't have to aim at that. You don't have to aim at a life that's self-centric. You just get up in the morning and you're good to go. But if you're going to be a God glorifier and everything is an act of worship, you have to aim at it. Here's an inventory assessment. For his glory, do I know why I'm here? Do I know why I was formed and why I was redeemed? I was created for his glory. Am I aiming at that? Whether I'm eating or drinking, am I doing it for his glory? Am I expressing it as an act of worship? Let me give you seven things to focus on, which express in recognition of that, to live and to lead as an act of worship. Let me give you seven things, and I'm using worship as an acrostic. And if I'm a parent, I'm owning this. I talk about this often. Because I'm convinced that if you get this, you will be a successful Christian. This is the measure of your life. This is real success. Sometimes I'm asked to do retreats. They say, well, what do you want to talk about? Here's what I want to talk about. Measuring and maximizing your life. Because if you don't measure it and you don't know how to maximize it, you can't be successful. This is a measuring stick. It is rooted around the word Worship. Worship is an acrostic. Seven letters. I'm going to give you them today and call you to something related to each of those letters, which represents living for the glory of God. If you're going to live for the glory of God, number one, you've got to work. You've got to give your best for the best. Whatever you do, Colossians 3.23, do it how? Heartily. Do you know what that means? All you got from the heart, not hollow, not half. You're not running sprints half speed. You're running full speed. Whatever you do, anybody know what whatever is? 
It's anything that you do. Do it heartily as unto whom? The Lord. You know why? It's a worship offering. And you have to work. You give your best because he is the best. Go back to Malachi chapter 1. I want to uh, call your attention to a passage that has, to me, uh, parallel implications to the priority we're pursuing as an expression of worship. God's indictment to the Israelites after they'd come back from Babylon was their neglect of worship. And the leaders who led worship despised worship, which means they devalued it. And God calls their attention to the fact that, hey, I am worthy of your worship. I'm worthy of your best worship. And the reason why is not just because of who, who you are, but what happens when you give your best for the best in whatever category of worship you're expressing my worth about, whether you eat or drink, whether you study or work, whether you mow or wash, whether you dribble or shoot, whatever you do, whether you build whether you debuild, deconstruct. Chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father, says God, through his messenger Malachi, a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? Where's my worth? Where's the weight, the weight of value? And if I'm a master, where's my respect? My high regard that prompts obedience, says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, to you. O priest, that's the leaders, and you are a royal priesthood. You are a conduit of people to God and God to people. Where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts, to those who represent me, who despise my name? Now look up for a minute. When you despise God's name, you treat it lightly. You don't treat it with its appropriate worth and value. And they're going to say, how have we despised your name? In what way have we diminished and discounted and, treating you, and treated you lightly? Well, he goes on to say, you're presenting defiled food upon my altar. And they say, well, how have we defiled you in that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised? Verse 8, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? This is God talking to his people. You're not giving me the best. You're giving me defective stuff. You're giving me the lesser stuff. First of all, you don't treat your worship space, and that's the altar. You want to know where your altar is? It's not in a tabernacle or a tent or a temple. Your worship space is wherever you do what you do. And you either offer on that altar a worship offering that honors the Lord and regards and elevates Him, or you offer Him an offering that discounts Him. Because it's half. It's less. It's defective. It's hollow. You give your best for the best, and you don't, you don't present the less. He says, even commonly in our own culture, and in that one, why not, verse 8, offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you, or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? 
In other words, people don't do that who have a high station and a big reputation. They, they wouldn't accept that. They go, what is this? He's appealing to them from a natural, objective consideration that they would understand. Verse 9, but now will you entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly? In other words, change your behavior. Get in a position that brings God favor. You don't enjoy it now. What's the problem? I'm not worshiping as I ought to worship. I'm not giving my best. I'm giving him less. And I've always been sobered by verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. Do you know what he just said? I'd rather you close the door to the worship place. I'd like somebody to stand up courageously and shut the doors of defective, inadequate, unacceptable worship. I'd rather you not be here today. I'd rather they put lock, chains on the doors of Grace Church if your worship offering isn't acceptable, if it's not your best. Do you know why? He goes on to say, for from, verse 11, for from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and every place incense is going to be offered to my name. And a grain offering that is, watch this, that is pure. It's uncontaminated. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, verse 12. But you're profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled. And as for its fruit and its food, it is to be despised. In other words, it's just not that important. It's just not that important. What I do, where I do it, it's just not that important. You know, here, let let me put it this way. It would be better for you not to claim to be a Christian than to not act as a Christian would act, as an act of worship, which brings glory to God. Because God is misrepresented by defective Christianity. You want to live for the glory of God? Work for the glory of God. Give your best for the best in everything you do. Because everything you do needs to be seen, this is a key concept, as an act of worship, as an offering of worship on the various altars which represent your life. You give your best in everything because you're representing Him in everything you do. Remember, you do it all for the glory of God, whether you eat or drink. They see Him through what you do. And in many cases, it's the effort and the mindset with which you do it. The O in worship is overcoming. Live and lead as an act of worship. It means you overcome, you deal with difficulty. We saw it in James differently. You deal with difficulty, three words, with confidence, perseverance, and wisdom. You count it all joy when you fall into various trials because you know that the trying of your faith produces perseverance, which is spiritual strength. The ability to remain under a weight is perseverance. The ability to remain under the weight making you stronger is towards the end that you'll be whole, that's fully mature, 
like Christ, complete. That's a worship offering word. No defect, no defilement. Harry goes on the altar and for the glory of God and the way I express the wholeness and the completeness of that offering is the product of the refining that comes through trial. Defects in me are addressed in trouble, the fires of difficulty. You have that confidence, whole, complete, and lacking nothing. Lacking nothing for what? The mission for which you're on the planet. You have a purpose. Guess what? You will not fulfill that purpose unless you triumph over trouble. And trouble is a tool of God to reveal weakness, and it's a, it's a, or a test of God to reveal weakness, and a tool of God to make you strong. And the harder the difficulty, the more important the reality that needs to emerge from it. Now, I'm going to quote this verse, but you need to think about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, Paul, I want out of trouble. This thorn is killing me. I'm asking you. I've asked you three times. This is what he heard. My grace. This is God, the son of God, talking to Paul, the child of God, Paul. My grace, it's sufficient for you. The word sufficient means it's entirely adequate. Whatever this trial demands, what I give you freely, not because you deserve it, but because I want to do it, it's sufficient to sustain you. Now listen to this. And my power, my attribute of divine power is made perfect. Now listen, it's not made perfect in the sense that it becomes more perfect, but rather it expresses itself in its fullest perfection on the stage of your weakness. My power, where they get to see me and the glory that belongs to me, is in the expression of my grace and power in your life on the stage of your astheneo, no strength. When you don't have anything to offer, you have no, no money in the bank, you have no assets to draw from, when you're at your lowest low, hey, you need to remember, I do my best work for my glory on that stage. People who live and act in a way, they live and lead as an act of worship, they deal with trouble differently. They deal with it with a confidence that God's going to use it, a perseverance that they stay at it, stay engaged, not resignation, not taking a drink, not doing drugs, not borrowing assets that I don't have. I'm hanging right in here because I know this exercise is going to make me the worship offering I'm supposed to be. And my life will be a stage where God's glory is on display, power made Perfect in weakness, overcoming. Wisdom, because since you lack wisdom, you need to ask of God. Wisdom for what? Wisdom is a divine ingredient or solution, something that God provides that enables you to partner and cooperate so that whatever the difficulty is, you can cooperate with his intention so that it can realize his design and desire. And you ask in faith without wavering. God, I know you'll give me and grant me both the grace for this and the wisdom to navigate this. Because when you're in trouble, let me tell you what you can't do. 
Call 10 people. Tell me what to do. You need assets that are greater than human assets. Wisdom is divine perspective. Wisdom is seeing it from God's vantage point so you can do the things you need to do to fulfill his perfect purpose. Your difficulty is a stage for his glory, and they get to see his power and sustaining capacity. R. Living and, act, living and leading as an act of work, worship is not just working, giving your best for the best. It's not just overcoming. It involves the word responsibility. Owning your role and owning it when you fumble or fail. Responsibility recognizes that I have a divine entrusted purpose. I have assets. I'm a steward. I have a role to play. We don't have time to look at all these passages, but if you're taking notes, Matthew 25, 14 says a man goes away and he entrusts assets to his slaves. The man is Jesus Christ who has ascended to heaven. He is coming back. Assets are distributed to the slaves that are part of his kingdom or a part of his enterprise. The parable of the talents says that every kingdom citizen is entrusted assets to be used for the extending of the kingdom of God. You are personally endowed in your humanity with natural assets. You've got something you bring to the table for the good of others. You're not just random chance. You're not a loser no matter what anybody said to you. You're made in the image of God for the glory of God. I made you for my glory which means whatever you have is a divine asset trust and stewardship meant to be invested for your creator and the world in which you live. And if you're a Christian, that is, you've been ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been adopted as a child of God, you enjoy supernatural assets, 1 Corinthians 12, where the Holy Spirit, according to his will, sovereignly entrusts assets to you that are not natural, they're supernatural. The gift to teach, the gift of mercy, the gift to serve, all of the assets that represent the supernatural, the gift to share the gospel that Calloway was representing. We're all commissioned to preach the gospel and proclaim it. All of us are not supernaturally gifted to see abundance and fruit from it. You have supernatural assets that are yours. You have a responsibility. Dr. John or Pastor John's taking us through Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 says we're equipped to do the work of service. It says that we are like joints and we connect to one another, each part doing its part. Ephesians 4.16. If you're a Christian, you're an asset that is meant to be plugged into the body of Christ to do the work for the glory of God and the extending of the kingdom of Christ. You have a responsibility. Matthew 25 verse 19 says when the, the man, the owner, the master comes home or comes back from his long journey, he will call his slaves into account. Harry, how'd you do? with the assets I entrusted to you. What did you do with it? I gave you this, this, and this, which means you need to have an assessment so you know what it is you got going for you. And one of the best ways you do that is you ask the people around you, what do you think I got going for me? What do you think I have that others are benefited by? 
Here's a way I like to get at it. What's life-giving to you when you do it? And what's life-impacting to others when they receive or benefit from you doing it? What do you love to do? It's like I would do this for nothing. This is like breathing for me. And when you're doing that, what benefits and blesses others? Because some people love to sing and dance, but you're not benefiting anybody. (laughs) You like the percussion thing up here. I could apply for that. I'm just not going to bless anybody. I don't have those assets. You don't want to hear Harry drum anything. But there is probably something you want to hear Harry do. Because it's an asset entrusted, and you have a responsibility. You need to know what it is. You're a steward of that asset. Invest your life. Don't spend it. If you're going to live and lead as an act of worship, you need to know what your responsibility is. And that's the benefit of the body of Christ. I told the elders and deacons on Friday, part of what we do is help people understand what they're built for what assets they have, and then the job of the leadership of the church, those who shepherd it and serve with them, deacons, ministry leaders, is to help maximize your capacity, fulfill the purpose that you'll be accountable for. And you know what you are today? A worship offering, or you're not. You're either fulfilling it or not fulfilling it. And the R of responsibility recognizes that I have assets I've been entrusted with. I have a joint that I need to fulfill a function for. I will give an account, Romans 14, 12. And Galatians 6, 4 is, I ought to examine my own work. Am I doing it or not doing it? It's not a question of whether your husband's doing it. The question is, are you doing it? The question isn't whether someone else is doing it. The question is, are you doing it? That's Galatians 6.4. Each one has his own responsibility they're responsible for. And I like this, responsibility, owning your role and owning it when you fumble or fail. Look, you, one of the great lies in Christianity, look, I'm going to fail. I'm 63 years old. I know that's old. It's getting younger, though. I've been a Christian since I was six. I've been teaching the Bible for a lot of years. I've been married for, there'll be 40 this year. I should be good at this. But there will be things that happen in my life journey, my living and my leading, that will be short of what is worthy of one who I serve and represent. I won't be the husband I should be. I won't be the father I should be. I won't be the elder I should be. I won't be anything I should be. And you know what? I need to own it when it comes clear to me because you help me. Because others who love me help me. Because the gift you can't give yourself is perspective. And what you need is allies who will help you see what you can't see so you can become what God built you to be. And when, you're rep- when those themes are represented to you, you need to own it, not defend it or deny it. Because you have responsibility. You live as an act of worship, and sometimes you will fall short. Listen, it's not like you take it lightly. Yeah, did it again. Hate that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm doing that, and I do hate that. And I'm sorry for that. Because, listen... You can defile yourself. I'll get to that one. 
S, selfless. Man, S, selfless. Worship, seven, seven letters, work, overcoming, responsibility, selfless. This is serving and sacrificing. There is no Christianity that doesn't include loving as a theme of living. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for one another. You know what love is? Sacrificial. Do you know what love is? Beneficial. Do you know what love is? Unconditional. You know what love is? Personal. I can't pay you to love. I love or I don't love. Selfless is serving and sacrificing out of love to to make, listen to this, to make those in your life better. Even at your own expense. Love is other-centric. Philippians 2, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Consider the needs of others as more important than yourself. This is, I command you to love one another. And love is laying down your life for your friends. Matthew 23, verse 11, love is demonstrated by serving one another. Love is the greatest. You love your neighbor as yourself. You want to see what loving your neighbor is, study and master the behavior of a commonly known figure called the Good Samaritan and boil it down to say, am I, as an act of worship, am I aware to, alert, are my eyes open? Do I have eyes to see the needs around me? Do I have a heart to help meet those needs? And do I have the courage to act? Worship involves selfless living and other-centered priority. H, humility. Look, you know, you can preach a whole sermon on selfless because it's love, and that's the heart of Christianity. H is humility. Let me define it for you. Act of worship, living and leading as an act of worship means you live and lead so people see him and others, not you. So God and others are elevated, not you. Pride is self-focus. Pride means to elevate yourself. Pride means I've got my head high, my eyes up, my chin up. Everybody's lesser than me. Humility is I'm going to lower my priority or my person in order to elevate your person. I'm considering you ahead of me, and I'm elevating you. Humility. Humility is a choice you make, not a gift you receive. Because some of us think that humility is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There is no fruit of the Holy Spirit called humility. Humility is humble yourself. Humble yourself means you look at him and you consider them. You want people to see God. You don't want them to see you. Here he's the greatest. Man, just make sure you all get how good I am. That's pride. Humility is look at him and consider them. Defer to them. Elevate them. 
living and leading so people see God and others, not you, so that God and others are elevated, not you. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4, learn that lesson. I'm going to the field. I'm going to act like an animal. I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose. I'm going to be humiliated until I learn that the God in heaven is worthy of worship, not me. I, integrity. Integrity is being honorable and noble in all you do and say. Integrity is being honorable and noble in all you do or say. This is living as a Christian ought to live, listen to me, inwardly and outwardly. Listen, I can dress up for church on Sunday. And I don't just put on the jacket and the tie and the adornment that represents leadership. I can put on an attitude that misrepresents the reality of my heart. Integrity is wholeness. What you see is what I am. Integrity for a Christian is what I profess to be, I actually am. Integrity is nobility. Integrity is being honorable. Integrity means I have character that you can see, and it's displayed in spaces you cannot see. Listen to Proverbs 14.2. I'll give you a verse. He who walks in integrity honors or fears Yahweh. But he who is crooked, somebody who steps out of the the integrous line, despises me. He treats me as nothing. He takes my name in vain. He doesn't elevate the great name because he doesn't walk in integrity. He doesn't honor or worship me. I reference this. You should write it down. Mark 7, 14 through 23. What defiles a man is not what he eats. It's not the stuff that comes from the outside. It's the stuff that comes from the inside that defiles a man. And the word defile isn't like it's just like a blot on my blue shirt. Defile means I can't worship God or represent God as an act of worship. Defile means Harry is unclean and not acceptable to worship. The stuff that comes out of my heart, the words that come out of my mouth, that's what defiles me. That's what disqualifies me from living as a worship offering. So if I've got a tongue that I can't manage, and we're going to talk about James 3. Everybody stumbles with their tongue. Tongue's very powerful. It's like a flame. It's like a rudder on a big ship. But I'll tell you what your tongue is. It's an indicator of who you are. Your words are one of the greatest measures of reality. What defiles you is what comes out of your mouth. What defiles you are the lustful, idolatrous, immoral thoughts that circulate, that pop out in things you say and do. Jesus said, that's what defiles a man which is why integrity is so crucial, being honorable and noble in all you say and do. The P, the final word for worship, remember what this is. This is an inventory. This is a way to assess, am I living and leading as an act of worship? The last one is P, passion. Passion is, I do what I do, all in, all on, all out, from the heart. I'm right where I'm standing. And wherever it is I'm standing, I'm living. And wherever I'm living and leading, I'm worshiping with all I've got. 
It's not passive. It's passionate. This is Colossians 3 again restated. Heartily as unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians 9. Run to win. Not for a perishable wreath, but for an imperishable wreath. This should be our goal. This should be the measure of success today. This is your balance sheet. This is your scoreboard. This is the measuring stick that you must define yourself with because you were formed for the glory of God and you either fulfill that because you live and lead as an act of worship or you don't. Failure at this is failure. And to do this, You have to aim at it. Now, the purpose of this message was not to bury you. The purpose of this message was to calibrate you. The purpose of this message was to challenge you. The purpose of this message is to orient orient you, orientate, so that you can be successful for the purposes were made and saved. Can you say amen to that? Right. If you're going to do it for God, you got to do it to God as an act of worship. And you got to get something from God. Because without me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. So don't think you're going to sign this up, put it on the walls, a checklist, and go, man, I got this. Faith fitness is the engine to glorify God and live in a way that honors God. Father, thank you for the time today. Thank you for the treasure and privilege we have to open your word. And Lord, it's my prayer that in spaces of life, we'll have regular encounters where we measure ourselves and we have others help measure us. Not under condemnation, but constructive adjustments that allow us to not only understand, but to progress as a Christian. Lord, that's our desire unto Christ, till the full measure of Christ is seen in us. And to that end, we have work to do and a target to pursue. So whether I'm a parent promoting these priorities, or I'm a husband modeling these priorities, or I'm just a Christian representing these realities in the marketplace of life, or on the athletic spaces, or the academic spaces, let me be fruitful. Because you do have a great name, and I bear it, and you're worthy of worship. And to that end, we need your help and aid, and I ask it for us all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.